Hello and welcome to the start of a special weekly series of Property Matters on Dublin South FM just for August in association with PropTech Ireland. So for the next four weeks, we'll be meeting the people who are developing, driving and financing prop tech and construction technology innovation around Ireland. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host for today is myself, Carol Tallon. And today I'll be chatting to Porig Nylon, uh, founder and CEO of AtJust. Porig, thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Carol. I'm I'm delighted. You you've been on the show before. We've spoken about ad just before. So today it's great to have an opportunity maybe to get into a little bit more detail. Um, and of course, due to ongoing COVID nineteen restrictions, we're still recording remotely. So I am just outside of Dublin, and I presume are you down in Clare today? Yeah, I'm down in Clare in uh, Kilrush here in West Clare. So in our in our office here by the by the marina here in Kilrush. So we're, we're not too badly located. Well, that sounds perfect. And I know over the next few weeks, we're going to be meeting people um, in Galway and in North Kerry. So we, we definitely have a West Coast vibe um, to the Very show good. for August. So which I'm delighted to see. That's where the innovation is coming from. Um, so, Borg, I, I know I've mentioned that you've been on the show before, but just for the benefit of listeners who might not have heard that particular episode, you might just actually tell us a little bit about AdJust. And by the way, just for people um, listening in, it's the plus sign and then A-D-D-J-U-S-T. That's right. So I suppose essentially what AdJust is, is uh, like we build contract management solutions for uh, construction projects um, in, in a sentence. Um, we... My own background would have been in quantity surveying, so I would have been involved in a lot of contract administration over the years and for you know small domestic projects right up to housing developments and that kind of thing and commercial projects. So um, that's really the origins of it. And that's where we kind of, uh, I suppose, you know, like a lot of technologies built out of frustration dealing with um you know, old, older systems and systems that have kind of built up over years uh, in, in, in a manual uh, process. And I suppose just applying technology to take a lot of the needless administration and make life a bit simpler on all the users. Yeah, absolutely. And Borg, your own background. Um, what, uh, well, first of all, actually, where did you study? I studied in Dublin Institute of Technology, uh, or, or TU Dublin, as it's now known, um, so, and how long yeah, how long ago was that? That was two thousand to two thousand and four. So I graduated in two thousand and four in construction economics. So you were just coming in before the crash. That's right. Yeah, oh, and um, as as it turned out, I I ended up working with a firm here in Clare, and we um, did you know it was kind of a multidisciplinary firm. So we would have done you know planning and building surveying and uh, quantity surveying as well, bringing in my own skills and. Over that period of time, I suppose we would have seen a lot of the the madness um, that that ensued, and um, and that's that's kind of befell the economy afterwards and stuff. So, um, yeah, I suppose we I'd have you know fifteen fifteen years of uh, experience of of the good and the bad uh, in the construction industry. Yeah, you know, it, it's good to hear it summed up as kind of the good and the bad because resiliency is something that we've talked about so often on the show and particularly in the last few months, that resiliency is really being tested, you know, um, and, and I know that that's something we're going to get to get back on to um, later on in the show. But I think it's a really interesting, it, it's, it's interesting that we kind of have come full circle from the time you've entered the industry and we're maybe into our, our second very major and serious downturn um, potentially. So 
you know that that that's an interesting one to be changing direction and, and innovating from. But let's go back to the origins of Adjust. Um, are you, are you the sole founder? No, I I co-founded it actually with my my uncle, uh, Joe Joe Nealon. And Joe would be uh, had been his experience would have been in project management and uh, business development. Uh, he would have worked with some major brands, um, bringing them into emerging markets like Russia and Romania. In years gone by, he's he's got a few more years experience there than me. But um, uh, but no, he like he, he brings a different skill set. And then we we um, signed up another co-founder, then a small bit into our uh, development. Uh, Michael Kelly, uh, so he's based here in West Clare as well, and he's a software engineer. So um, the, the three of us are, are, are the the lead team on it. Very good. And um, your uncle, what in, I, I know you mentioned there about his his involvement, kind of maybe outside of Ireland. But where were his kind of core skill sets then coming into the business? Yeah, I guess business development and you know that sales and marketing. So he would have, I mean, he graduated from U. UL in 1986, uh, you know, doing international business studies, and um, he would bring that. I suppose that, uh, I suppose what is what is now known as the business development side of things. You know, the the strategy and in terms of uh, how we get to the market and that kind of stuff. So, which which is kind of an important thing. I mean, I suppose with a lot of startups, uh, usually there's a couple of core functions there, and you know, obviously with tech being the the, the predominant one, and obviously the the business idea, but uh, really, the two of those aren't really worth anything unless you can actually get to the market and and kind of know how to penetrate the market and strategize uh, to, to 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 make an impact on the market. Yeah, I, look, you're you're absolutely right. You know, sometimes you need to really think of all businesses kind of like the three-legged stool, and even if you do two of those legs very well, you're unlikely to be able to balance for a long time. You can get by for a while, but certainly not for a long time. And um, so, how long were you and your uncle like working on this before Michael came in? So we, yeah, I guess the the idea had been festering in my head for maybe a couple of years since 2015, probably 2016. Now we didn't actually do anything about it until we approached our county enterprise board, and they kind of said, "Look, I think you need to talk to NDRC." So. In early 2017, we um, got on the Launchpad program with uh, NDRC in Dublin, and we uh, it was about a year later that Michael joined us. So we had kind of done a bit of business. Uh, I suppose just what NDRC do is really they make you analyze your business without actually developing anything just yet. So we worked on prototype and early business, um, the early business idea, I guess, and um, it was at that point then when we kind of saw the route that we were going to take that we um, we had approached Michael a few months previous and um, it was a I won't say it was a very long courtship but it was it, it was a, we, we, it, it took a bit of persuading to to bring him from his uh, his secure job uh, on on board with us but was uh, there an element of of uh, freelancing or moonlighting in between um a little bit yeah a little bit yeah. you could say that um but uh, no i mean it was it was great that he did come on board because i mean he just brings that expertise that tech expertise you know he's not only that he's kind of a project manager all you know he project manages our development team and uh, really has his finger on the pulse in terms of um, I'd, I'd even say he's got uh, as good an understanding of construction contracts now in in ireland than a lot of people in the industry. So. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting one. And actually, one of the reasons why I'm really delighted um, this August for this month, really, to take time chatting to 
PropTech startups and PropTech operators is that, you know, a lot of times if we're doing kind of a, a, a 10 minute interview or 15 minute interview, we don't have time to get into some of the important things. And like one of the things that, you know, we, we, we've almost glossed over was the fact that, you know, you were you were operating with co-founder for a year before bringing Michael on board. And that can be a really difficult thing to do. And what we found is that, you know, people, particularly co-founders on their own, there never seems to be a right time to, or uh, sorry, a founder on their own, there never seems to be the right time to bring in a co-founder because if there's any sort of attachment built up around the business, it's very difficult to effectively share your baby with somebody who might not, you know, have... 100% you know the same approach as you and of course a co-founder shouldn't have 100% the same approach as you otherwise you're you're losing value um but in terms of of bringing Michael in you know was there a case that did you have to review maybe existing shareholder agreements and and founder rights you know was there a whole negotiation around that yeah, there was. And I mean, uh, you know, I, I would have known Michael beforehand and we'd be quite good friends and I'd be good friends with his brothers as well. Uh, we go back back a long way. But, you know, when it came down to business, we were very frank and honest with, with each other. And uh, yeah, there was, you know, it's like any legal agreements and stuff like that. It can be painful uh, during the course of it. But at the same time, I, I think it's, it's important for a lot of um, startups. I mean, you know, as I always say, like the, the idea is really you know it's it's 80 percent of of what will make it successful but it's also only about 20 percent of what goes into it um and you need you need that input from you know from all these different facets as i said like you know just just having an idea or just having an ability to write code or just having an ability to make sales neither one of those on their own will actually make a, a viable business and um you know i think we you know we went through the negotiation process and i think you know, we're very clear on what our what our paths are and what our our obligations are, and I think that's that's kind of important. It's, it's important to get that out of the way at the start, really, or, or as early as possible. Yeah, and you know, I, I suppose back to the analogy of the three-legged stool. You know, you were coming in with a lot of domain knowledge from having worked in the construction sector in Ireland, which is great, and that's where the premise comes from. But you're absolutely right; an idea without execution, really, you know, it, it just doesn't go far. Um, so having the IT, you know, that's something that most people would do almost on an outsourced basis initially. Um, so had you prior to Michael coming on board, had you actually been outsourcing? Uh, uh, software development yeah we had outsourced to a company in Galway there that we would have dealt with previously called app design mm. and we just got really well what we did we wanted to kind of get something that we could go around and bring to customers and show them you know this is you know this is what can be done and um, we were kind of showing a, a process that could be um, that could be solved using technology so I mean we didn't spend a massive amount of money on us but at the same time what it did was it got got us a kind of a Something that we could show was to prove our concepts um, to to our customers and just kind of say, look, this is what's possible. Uh, a lot of the time, it's it's very hard to explain something using words or on the phone. You know, it's, it, we're we're all kind of leading to that visual. Um, you know, the, we're all, we're all kind of focusing on the visual side of things, particularly in in recent times. And I think just having that prototype or whatever you like to call it. Um, was uh, and we use that, that that outsourcing company and and I think that's probably you know I mean look not every company is the same but definitely worked in terms of we didn't have we didn't have a huge capital outlay initially we got to 
prove what we were talking about was was correct and could be done. And it was then at that point, it was the right time then to bring in somebody uh, full time then doing software engineering, because otherwise we would have been employing somebody or uh, bringing on somebody when we didn't really know what our path was. Yeah. And they're very difficult decisions, you know, and sometimes, you know, it makes sense looking backwards. But actually, when you're when you're in the moment of it, and I know this from actually dealing with uh, not just prop tech startups, but startups in general, particularly on uh, if they're looking for technology uh, to execute their idea, but they're not bringing technology um, or IT skills on board themselves. It's really difficult to be able to find a company to outsource to that you can really have that relationship of trust. And and I suppose there's two big things. The first one is obviously um, trust with your idea and your IT and your IP, but also um, there, there's the cost element. You know, what are you going to get value for money? And we see so many innovators having to go outside of Ireland to be able to, um, to actually develop the technology they need because it's just cost prohibitive for startups in Ireland. So had you received funding prior to, to going and um, developing your prototype? We did, yeah. So we, uh, as part of the NDRC Launchpad program, uh, we would have received 30%, or sorry, um, uh, 30,000. And we, that was in January. And then we applied for CSF funding with Enterprise Ireland and we received another 50,000 then. So that gave us a bit of a platform then to uh, be able to test out things and, um, you know, I suppose, grow the concept i suppose um we also then received leader funding as well so clear local development company um give us a research and development grant for for a particular element that we wanted to to explore and um yeah i mean the, the, I look at the fund without the funding i know a lot of people would say that bootstrap stuff and you know i wish them the, the best and it's, it's 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 brilliant but for us um it, i suppose it all depends on what particular field you're going into and how long the the sales cycle is but um for us all of that funding was was imperative to 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 get where we wanted to get yeah no i i look i i I, what you're saying makes absolute sense and i know any of the businesses that have bootstrapped that's only possible if you have um either co-founder uh co-founder expertise in terms of it delivery or you're doing something that can generate cash flow very very quickly and that's unusual exactly. you know they most times that wouldn't be the case um so in terms of early support you went through the whole realm of uh, lo- uh local enterprise board the and the leos and then into did you go through ndrc prior to going through enterprise ireland Yes, we did. So um, I suppose our initial contact with uh, our Claire uh, Leo here was I just I set up a meeting with a guy called Shane Gohan, who was there and uh, Parik McElwee, the, the Parik McElwee is still there. But Shane kind of when I explained the concept to him, he said, look, these are the crowd you need to talk to. You're, you're probably looking at something a bit bigger than we can support. Um, and I literally made the phone call and they were, they were taking a round of applications. So that was in November 16, and then we got accepted in December, and then we started in, in January 17, and we applied, I think it was in at the end of February. So it was all happening quite fast for the uh, for Enterprise Ireland's, uh, the CSF funding, and then we did the interview, I think, in April 2017, and we got that. So that gave us a real solid footing, and in terms of credibility and, um, I suppose, the belief that those or those institutions had in what we were doing and what we what we said we were going to do yeah. um, was, was give us a, you know, a really good start. 
Okay, and one of the things that um, Enterprise Ireland, of course, Enterprise Ireland, and you know, would obviously have its critics among the startup sector in Ireland as well. You know, in terms of, um, you know, there, there are definitely pros and cons. But one of the huge pros is that there is this inbuilt credibility then, but also it's almost like there's an inbuilt due diligence done that makes you more attractive to angel investors. So have you received investment outside of the LEO or Enterprise Ireland structure? Yes, we have. So we've, uh, fought, I guess the thing with the competitive start fund is that um, I suppose it gives you that platform into high potential startup uh, funding. And we we kind of secure that in principle, um, you know, probably the following year, I think it was 2018. But, uh, you know, we didn't draw down the funding actually until almost earlier this year. But um, just for various reasons, we'd, we'd held off and then the process took quite a while. And I suppose that's one of the cons people talk about. But, mm. you know, I guess it's it's like anything they have a process there that needs to be followed and um i think you know maybe i suppose maybe if if i, if I was brought into enterprise ireland to make a suggested improvement would be just maybe that that process might be outlined in some shape or form to startups like us who you know do get frustrated and you're you know you're stressed over cash flow and stuff like that and when the drags on it can it can take a while and then obviously when the money comes in it's great but you know that's that's it, it, I suppose maybe that that's probably where a lot of their, their critics come from. But I must say, without them, uh, for us anyway, you know, we'd be a non-starter, as they say. You know, it's, it's they've, they've been incredible in their support. Um, you know, just they're always there at the end of the phone in terms of if you need, you know, information or access to um, a particular market or whatever the case may be. They, they, there's a willingness there to help and, and to, to, to push us on. Yeah. But, um, yeah, as I say, look, it's, it's, I suppose there are, like many semi-state organizations, it's, it's just that the, they're just a big behemoth and, and, and I suppose they have due diligence and they have to cross their T's and dot their I's. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. And, and look, process is just part of the, it's part of the, the startup um, roadmap that you have to follow. Uh, okay, we need to take a quick break there, but we'll, we, we, when we come back, I definitely want to talk to you about the private investment that came in and maybe the application of that. So um, we'll take a, break, a quick break. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM. Welcome back to our PropTech Ireland Property Matters Summer Special on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or an email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. We're just we're continuing our discussion with Porg Nealon of Adjust. Um, so just before the break, Porg, you were, we were just talking about uh, the route that you came through in order to go through the, the state supports, but then into attracting private investment. So um, Adjust has taken on private investment. Are you are you comfortable to say how much that investment was for it? Yeah, I think it's so. We would have taken on two hundred and fifty thousand in private investment, and then it was match funded with um, Enterprise Ireland with another two hundred and fifty thousand. Okay, and the matched funding did that come from one investor? Yeah, it was so. It was from a, yeah uh, one investor. Uh, there would have been a company there that I would have dealt with um, in my previous um, uh, work as, as as a building consultant. So. Um, yeah, they, they they would have uh, we would have put the proposition to them uh, maybe again probably two years ago, mm-hmm. and you know we went through a process with them as well, and then obviously over and back with Enterprise Ireland, and once all the 
once all the 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 terms and all were were agreed, um, yeah, they've they've come in on board and have been a great asset, really. Okay, and then so um, actually, I I was going to ask you, did they come from an industry background? But of course, they they clearly did. If you'd been working with, if you had, I suppose, known them through a previous work. But that's a really interesting one because what we've seen in Ireland is that any um, or the majority of private investment that has gone into prop tech startups or construction technology startups or anybody on the urban planning side of things, all of the private investment or the majority of private investment that we've been tracking has come from individuals who are actually involved in the industry and the planning, construction or property industries as their day job. And I think that that's almost an added vote of confidence because they're seeing this as an innovation that really has the potential to impact the the, the working industry. Um, and, and there's a certain amount of credibility there. But with the credibility, does that likely lead to um, early customers? I, so was this somebody who was in a position maybe to do business with you also? Um, not not so much in this case, but um, potential. I suppose they had. Uh, I suppose they're they're they had previously been involved in. I suppose a few construction projects where they had developed, um, you know, warehousing and things like that. And they, I suppose, they had seen all the pain, and they, you know, they fully understood what we were trying to do and what we were trying to achieve. And um, they would have invested in technology uh, in their previous company as well. Um, at an early stage and you know that reaped, reaped dividends so there was an appreciation there of technology uh, already and so I, I think that helps I think it's it's one thing to throw money into something that you know you you have a gut feeling on but when you've when your previous experience of investing in technology and purchasing technology and it has worked for you um, I think that that made our job a little bit easier that that the particular um, individuals had had uh, invested in technology before themselves. And did that, well, uh, look, I, I understand that it's early days, but I suppose are the indications that, you know, that's likely to make them good investors, a good fit for Adjust? I think so, yeah. And we do, I have a good uh, relationship with them as well, a good professional relationship with them as well, which helps. Um, but yeah, I, I think, and I, I mean, I suppose... One of the more than any relationship, I suppose, trust is a big thing too, and um, I think we'd have we'd have a mutual trust as well, which is kind of important. And it's, uh, I guess, it helps that we had previous dealings with each other. Where I know in a lot of cases with other startups, there's a you know there's a, a lack of knowledge in terms of the people don't know each other. They're coming in on a, almost an exclusively business relationship, <clears throat> and sometimes that can lead to kind of uh, fraud uh, fraud events and fraud. Uh, you know, it, it can just lead to a lot of tension when when there's there isn't a particular understanding, and there can be a perceived lack of trust. Um, I, I just know with with other uh, startups who've experienced that as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, look, I mean, we're we're, we're very happy uh, with, with our investors, and, and yeah. delighted they, 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 they took a punt on us, if if you like. Yeah. Well, I, look, as you say, they took a punt on you, knowing. Um, your track record, which you know, which is slightly different, or having had first-hand experience of it, um, but you've touched on something really important, and that is, you know, yes, there's a huge element of trust, and that goes on both sides because, you know, obviously, yes, they're bringing cash investment to the table, but you're giving a chunk of your business and, and your trust, so the trust is most definitely on both sides. But actually, you know, the, the situations where you talk about that are quite fraught. 
uh, to me, the just from my experience of them, um, it tends to be when people have very misaligned expectations of each other. So if you take on investment and you expect the investor is going to sit back and be silent and their expectation is that they're going to be in a position to maybe have a more hands-on role, even on the strategic side of the business, those misaligned expectations, in in my experience, that would really cause the problem. Um, and so how far are you into working with this investor? We would be about 12 months at, the, at this stage now. Um yeah, ju- just closing in on 12 months uh, okay. since the investment was made, yeah. And was there a conversation about the involvement that the investor would have? Oh, there was, yeah, there was. And, and very much they were kind of saying, look, we're, we're backing the people. We're backing, you know, you, Michael and Joe to deliver this. You know, if, if, if you need us, we're here for advice. But ultimately, you know, it's, it's very much a, a case of, you know, you're there to run the business. If if you require our input, or if, if we see something that we can input, but you know, we're very much not going in there to to run the business for you, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, again, that's a good and a bad thing. And the other thing I suppose to be mindful of, and again, I, I understand it's early days for you, but sometimes the, those expectations of each other, you know, even when even when people's intentions are outlined at the start, those expectations can change, you know, whether the, the marketplace changes or, you know, maybe the founder's position changes, you know, sometimes that actually that involvement can, can change. And that's something that needs to be worked with over time. If you're dealing with an experienced investor, these things are much more straightforward. But if it's somebody who is relatively new to investing in startups, then, you know, there tends to be a, a little bit more um, uncertainty about the roles that people will take, or maybe people are a little bit unrealistic at the start at just how hands-off they can be, because that can be frustrating for the investors if they're hands-off, but they see a role maybe that they would be able to impact the, the company positively, whether that's appreciated by the founder or not is another thing. Yeah, but I, 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 I would always take the approach of, you know, uh, you know, two ears, one mouth for, and in that proportion, I'd, I'd always be open to, to, to listening. You know, if a, an investor felt that he did have, um, you know, something to input and wanted to get involved in something, I'd obviously, no more than any decision, you just look at it. You would uh, make an informed decision. You and if I felt that it was uh, not in the best interest of the company, I would politely kind of say that and move on. And I think, and I think that's. The good thing about, I suppose, our situation and our investors is that we have a long-standing record with him. I, uh, I, I know what, what, how they work and, and stuff like that. So, uh, and I'm sure that's not the case for everybody. But um, I think that's, I mean, you just got to treat it like any business decision and uh, be as respectful as possible. And hopefully, there's understanding on both sides. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And so, in terms of adjust today. How many team members are you up to at this stage? So we have uh, three on the development team and we have another uh, four then outside of that. So uh, we just hired a digital marketing manager as well there, uh, just in the last month. So Okay. And so you're up to seven now. And are those seven all based in County Clare or are you operating a remote team? We have two in, in a remote uh, location, all right. Um, again, they're, they're on the development team working with Michael. 
So um, other than that, we're all all based in Clare. Actually, Joe is actually based in Mayo, even though he's from from Clare, all right, but he's married up there. Okay, so you guys were operating a remote team prior to COVID. We were, yeah, we were. Okay, so, uh, well, I mean, look, I as I mentioned, for most of August, I think all the founders we're speaking to, almost coincidentally, just happened to be along the West Coast, I think from... Um, from Galway down to Kerry and you know there's having lived on the west coast myself I know that you know typically certainly 15 years ago when I when I started my first business um everything every meeting I had was at the Green Isle I, I or sorry was in Dublin and I would try to get people out to the Green Isle Hotel so I might drive three hours from Kerry up to the Green Isle Hotel outside of Dublin and I could not get people from the city centre out to there and um, it, it drove me crazy, like at the time uh, before we moved our business up to Wicklow and then Dublin. But actually, there were some there were there used to be certainly some huge challenges doing business outside of Dublin and or outside of a main urban centre. But I think that they've really diminished over the past decade and a half. And I think that COVID is going to change that even more. But, you know, I, I, in terms of your operations, how was Adjust affected by the pandemic? Um, I guess yeah, we did have a couple of deals uh, that were ready to be signed off on pre- with private commercial clients, um, which I suppose they're now relooking at their cap capex, um, which you know our our technology kind of would manage a lot of you know capex development. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but w- one or two things like that happened, which would have affected us. But at the same time, on the flip side of that, we did have inquiries from. In particular, one local authority who um, said they needed to move ASAP because uh, with with the technology like ours, obviously they have to go through public procurement. But that you know that uh, the whole paperless environment that, that we are trying to push uh, was now uh, front and center in terms of you know transmission and uh, dealing with contractors and not having to handle paper. So our, our whole ethos is that contracts should be paperless. Contract construction contracts should be completely paperless. So. Um, you know, it affected us, I suppose, again, back to the some good, some bad. Yeah. Um, so, but it's, uh, and, and, and uh, just on your point of meetings and things like that, we would have, um, the road and the rail to Dublin well, well worn um, in terms of a lot of our uh, clients and prospective clients would be based in around Dublin. And I just, since the COVID pandemic I know we did four meetings in the space of half a day whereas before that would have taken us four full days to travel up and down and hop on trains and yeah things like that so you know I guess it look at you roll with the punches and you kind of uh, try and make stuff work work in your favor oh yeah well look obviously a, a new a newly established or kind of a younger business generally has more agility to to respond to the crisis but the fact that you were involved in the technology space you know, obviously would have given you a head start maybe over others in this industry because, you know, one of the things that I was really surprised by because, you know, PropTech Ireland was pulled together really in kind of 2015, 2016. So I get to see firsthand a lot of innovation on the planet construction and property side of things. But I was really stunned when the figures came out about two weeks, or sorry, two months ago that um, the lost momentum and the, you know, the, the, loss of construction projects um, during the shutdown or non-essential construction projects during the shutdown, but also um, the maybe the productivity 
losses as a result of implementing social distancing and other um, uh, HSE and CIF guidelines on construction sites were likely to knock um, productivity by up to 40%, which actually would put our, the Irish construction industry at the bottom of the, of the tables kind of within the EU. And I was really surprised to learn that because I would have thought that in terms of, a, of um, embracing technology and adopting new methodologies that the Irish construction sector was at least average. I wouldn't have thought that we were among the, the worst in Europe um, or sorry, the worst in the EU. So what would your experience be? Because you're dealing with both the public and the private sector on this. Yeah, it's, it's I guess from our experience, it's very much, um, there is a willingness there um, amongst this, I suppose, a certain cohort and maybe a certain age group to move with technology and move as, as fast as, as they can. I guess, um, particularly in the public sector, there's, there's, there's definitely a willingness. To, uh, there's actually a really strong willingness to move with technology now because I suppose they're seeing their paperwork and whether it's, you know, now you've COVID, um, COVID practices that need more paperwork. Health and safety has layered on a lot of paperwork in, pre- in recent times. It's, it's been building and building and building. And I think it's at the point now where, um, you know, people are going, right, this is enough is enough. We need systems, proper systems to manage this. As I say, it's particularly local authorities that has built up over years and years and years. And I think, I think it's, it's kind of reached the crescendo now where everyone is going, right, you know, there's technology for everyone is, you know, has technology in their phone for, for everything and little apps that make life a little easier. So they are on the lookout for, for whether it's the likes of our system or whether it's, um, you know, builders looking for at the likes of, you know, live costs um, type of technology, that that kind of stuff. It's just about making life that little bit easier. Um, but it, I'm surprised, I suppose, that we're, we're bottom of the of the ladder. Um, I would have thought that we were probably moving, moving further. Maybe there's some legacy issues in some institutions and organizations where, you know, the, the old adage of this is the way we've always done it uh, often gets thrown out there. And even that's even within private organizations and private companies, uh, there sometimes can be a reluctance to, to move. But I suppose it's like anything, it depends on the people, it depends on in those organizations and institutions, and it depends on their willingness to, to you know, to move, move with the times, as, as we say. That's absolutely right. Um, look, you've touched on an important point that I want to address with you as well. Public procurement as a startup. How did you navigate that? Yeah, it's difficult, um, I guess, but it's, I suppose, something I'd be pretty familiar with, I suppose, with one of the products we have, I suppose, it, it, it is the only um, system of its type out there. And I say that with uh, full confidence because um you know even a, a quick google search of a, a multi-operator contract management system <laughs> it doesn't show up too many yeah. items so it's, it's a very specific thing um you know we have you know intellectual property around it and stuff like that so there is it's about knowing the procurement guidelines uh, obviously with some of the other things we have there is uh, we've you know recently tendered for two different uh, local authorities now we haven't um you know full sign off on those got yet and obviously can't co- comment too too closely on them yet but we're, we're hopeful i guess of of securing those but until they, they, they've run their full course um we, we we have to wait and see but it can be i suppose for a startup i mean cash flow is everything and it can be quite there's an, a very long lead in time but equally i guess in the private sector if you're selling to big companies and big organizations there can be 
you know, a very long leading time as well. Uh, and I suppose that's one of the decisions you have to take at, at the beginning when you're when you're setting out your, your business strategy. Uh, can I survive long enough to, to bring these uh, these clients on? Because in fairness, once you do bring them on board, they're very they're they're good, solid, secure clients mm-hmm. uh, that will stand you in good stead for for years to come as well. Yeah, and I suppose one of the one of the things that um, would be equally difficult from a public or private procurement side of things is that uh, in terms of very innovative technologies, sometimes they're not written into the, into the bid specification as such. So um, there's an education process that has to happen as well to make sure that that there's even these opportunities for procurement you know have you seen a change in that over the last number of years we have and uh, definitely uh, there's um sometimes we'd actually see tenders and e-tenders um and we kind of look at it and read it and say well actually our technology even though it doesn't specifically state that that ours is the technology that they want we we believe that our technology could do what what it is they want it to do if you know what i mean so it's um yeah, I mean, there, there is, there's, I suppose sometimes there's a little bit of um, not knowing exactly what it is that that you want. And I mean, you know, the procurement guidelines, public procurement guidelines do allow for early engagement with these authorities and co- with contracting authorities. And, you know, we would have engaged with quite a few of them uh, to kind of say, look, this is our, what our technology does. Um, you know, is this something that uh, your your organization is interested in? Uh Sometimes they've said no, it's not what we're looking for. Other times they've said yes, this is the type of uh, thing that we've we've looked for. But they still have to go through public procurement, of course. Uh, obviously, after that and, and f- follow all the guidelines. Okay, yeah, no, look, absolutely. Um, okay, well, we need to take another quick break. When we come back, um, I, I want to discuss the work that your team are involved in in now because I know there's we're at the stage last during the the last um, couple of weeks. The July stimulus was announced, um, and announcing kind of a twelve percent increase in spend on capital projects which is welcome so you know we, we definitely will get into kind of what's happening on the ground now um and hopefully some positive signs in that so we'll take another quick break stay tuned 93.9 dublin south fm and welcome back to our prop tech ireland property matters summer special on dublin south fm with myself carol Talon. You can contact us on Twitter at iProperty Radio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. We are, of course, continuing our discussion with Porig Nealon, founder and CEO of AdJust. Um, so, Porig, just before we took uh, a break there, you know, you were just talking about uh, public and private procurement. Um, but now we want to get in. We, we know that there's been, um, obviously, since COVID began, we have a new government in place. Um, they, there's certainly they've been plagued since they, since they took office. But one of the strong elements that came out last week was a build, uh, build 2020, and in the July stimulus, of course, there was a 12 percent increase in capital or uh, spend on capital projects, which is welcome. So, um, in terms of the the, the service offering you have. Your, is your client base primarily private or public? Um, so I suppose to split it out in, in the easiest possible way. So we have three products. Uh, one is uh, called TermPay, and that's a, uh, specifically for the public sector uh, for multi-operator frameworks and single operator frameworks. We have another product called Control, which um, manages capital projects, uh, which 
would which would uh, I suppose cross between public and private sector. So it handles public works contracts, but can also handle private sector contracts as well and bespoke contracts uh, in the private sector. And we have another product launching there in a couple of weeks uh, called Big Work, which is focused very much on the private sector and on the domestic housing um, sector. So whether it's a, a new build or a large refurbishment uh, of, of domestic house, um, and that, that's an area I would have um, a lot of expertise in myself from, from my years uh, years of working um, in, in the private sector. Um, so those would be the three parts. So we kind of very much, I guess it's probably 50-50 in, in, in the grand scheme of things because there's one exclusively private, one exclusively public, and then the control product then sit, kind of sits in the middle of the two. Okay, and in terms of, I suppose, the, the growth forecast for Adjust, I mean, strategically, are you going to keep that 50-50 balance if possible? Um, I'd like to... I'd like to give you a, a straight answer and know that I I was I was uh, I could stay true to it. Really, it's it's wherever whichever latches. I, I mean, the the public sector will be probably slower growth. Um, I can see the private sector probably um, you know a certain element of it slowing down in terms of maybe the larger capital expenditure uh, projects maybe slowing down a little bit. Uh, I think there is going to be a larger public spend over the next you know. 12 to 18 months so if there is that's where our technology will hopefully get in on managing a lot of that um but yeah i, I guess it's we'll we'll follow wherever the, the the growth is really yeah no look and that's a, that's a fair one and, and to be fair that's probably the very responsive way to be you know in terms of um in terms of planning for for this stage of the business the market is only being established is that fair to say I think so. Yeah, I think um, you know very much in terms of what we're doing. Anyway, it's very it's very new. Um, and when I say very new, I mean like there are some uh, private, you know, there you know large organisations in from the states and uh, who have contract management technology. Um, very few of them kind of actually, if any of them at all, kind of target clients the way we we do. So a lot of them are tar- targeted at construction companies uh, who would be kind of more used to dealing with uh, technology and maybe implementing systems and having, you know, CRM systems and that kind of stuff. Where we're kind of focusing in on is the the, the client side of things. So these are the people who are funding the projects, uh, whether, again, that's a couple funding a, you know, 500,000 euro domestic project in BlackRock or uh, Sandy Mount, or whether it's, um, you know, a large retail group who have a continuous development of, you know, new retail stores or refurbishments or whether that's a public sector client who are funding, you know, a large housing, um, a large housing project. So they, those are doing. So there's kind of a, you touched on it earlier, there's a, l- a little bit of education around that with clients that, you know, basically we're giving, what our technology is doing is giving them much more control and visibility on their project spend, uh, on their contracts, obligation, contractual obligations, and guiding them through the whole process, and there is, it's, I suppose, it, that's a fairly fresh concept. Yeah. Well, I, I, actually, can you break it down for us? So, say, you know, because obviously we we primarily talk to an industry audience, but of course, for consumers listening in, um, can you explain how contract management um, on domestic projects? How is it different using your your um, services and product? So, I suppose, you know. 
you know, ninety nine percent of projects are uh, or contracts are you know handled you know using you know paper based contracts and email and also you know Excel. And I suppose one of the frustrations I would have had when I was uh, working as a quantity surveyor, whether it's for a client or f- whether I was representing a contractor, was uh, there was three to four different sets of figures uh, and none of them the true one ultimately because and the client was constantly jumping from me to if I was working for a contractor to the their own QS to the architect and uh, back to the contractor to know where exactly the, the figures were lying and uh, you know if there was a you know a change order issue or something like that uh, whose whose turn was it to respond and all this kind of stuff so ultimately what we've done is we put all that into a digital format um fired it up into the cloud and basically given access to the the client so basically they can see the visibility now on you know how much their project was going to cost at the start what the projected contract sum is going to be now at any particular time, point in time uh, so that again that make, gives them information that they can they may need to roll back on certain elements of a spend later on in the project to bring it back in on budget um, in terms of each payment, if it's uh, each issue, as we call them, so if it's a payment issue, a change order issue, a request for information, they have visibility on whose move it is next. So if a client has sent over information and is looking for a response and it's the contractor that's due to get back, it, there's a timeline, there's a visual timeline there on, on every single issue that's that's contained within the contract. Okay. And there's, there's, yeah. Does that tie in then with, say, in terms of mortgage drawdowns, um, say, for people who are self-building? You know, is there an element there where actually using your technology might be seen as more positive with their mortgage lender? It, yes, and we've actually made some um, initial inquiries with some lending institutions um, who again it was pre-COVID uh, were expressed an interest in in it because again it's what it does is it gives again visibility. You know, we're we haven't kind of um, hammered out the nuts and bolts in terms of the the uh, how how it might work, but definitely in terms of monitoring a budget or mon- monitoring a, a domestic contract spend. Um, it's it's a it's an extremely useful tool uh, in terms of as you say like mortgage drawdowns you could have six drawdowns of you know let's say fifty thousand each uh-huh. um, those milestones could be easily monitored on on our system. Okay, and actually that kind of leads us quite nicely on to you know self building is something that it seems to it seems to fall in and out of favour in Ireland, you know, and, you know, is that something then, because I, I suppose I didn't realise that you were dealing with individuals who might be involved in self-building using direct labour or, you know, uh, going through a main contractor. So I can see how this would be massively beneficial, say, in terms of um, a main contractor, but can it be used if it's direct labour because there's so many different players? Yeah, I, I mean, it can be used. Um, it's just, I mean, the system can be used absolutely by uh, direct labor or for, for somebody who's doing self-built, doing direct labor and managing all their individual contracts. Ultimately, when somebody is doing direct labor, um, they're essentially acting as main contractor. And I suppose we we would be offering the advice, uh, again, um, based on, you know, I suppose our industry knowledge that, this isn't self-build isn't quite as attractive as it used to be maybe five ten years ago um for a number of reasons uh, and i guess this is something we're going to put some blog information and you know some frequently asked i suppose we're going to share a bit of knowledge our, our knowledge of the industry as well 
on our website that'll be updated there in a couple of weeks. But, uh, you know, the, the, the self-builds uh, side of things, it, it's very popular in the UK, but that's because there's a VAT, um, there's, a, there's a VAT exemption for, for doing a self-build. In Ireland, where we find from people we've spoken to who've done the self-build route, they've got caught for buying materials at 23%, whereas through their builders, 13.5%. Um, there's also the health and safety um, issues in this, you know, project management uh, or project supervisor construction stage, project supervisor design process. These are all legal obligations now that they have to fulfill. Um, and when you add up all these elements and hidden things that people don't talk about um, at the self-build uh, or, or at, at the commencement of a, of a project, all of these little add-ons end up costing I won't say more, but I, uh, I would say um, I, you'd have to look at the, the the value that's been delivered by by hiring a contractor yeah. directly, yeah. Yeah. and all the legal obligations that go with it. And you know, it's 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 just become, I think, a little bit more difficult to do a self build and do it effectively within Ireland uh, now, particularly around you know the costs and the, and the legal obligations. Yeah, see, I suppose it, it was always something that was more attractive for people maybe who were were involved or had skills that they could bring yeah, to the exactly, table. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, look, I absolutely take that that point. It's that's a fair one. Um, so before we finish up, you mentioned that there's a new offering coming soon. Big work. Yeah, so big work is is that um, you know, as we say, it's 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 you know, it's targeted at the domestic building market, uh, domestic domestic contracts market. It's you know. One building project, it's one app. It's uh, it's very, very easy to use. We have it running on a number of projects <clears throat> there at the minute. And uh, so far, um, nobody has received an email uh, that they've had to respond to, on, which, which is good. That's <laughs> so interesting because the last day we were speaking about this, you know, one of the things you had said is that, you know, you're, you're on a mission to end emails when it comes to contract management. So is that what big work is? Well, I, I don't think uh, Google and uh, Yahoo Mail are going to be under threat now from, from us, but um, in terms of email being used as a contract management tool, you know, it's, it's the first thing that when we ask for feedback um, uh, to any of the users, whether it was the client or the contractor, they said, yeah, you know, they've given us the pros and cons and they said, yeah, actually one of the major pros is this, there hasn't been any email on this project. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we, as I say, there, there are some emails in terms of when there's a document issued, we do email it as, as a as part of the contract, but ultimately nobody has had to respond to an email. Everything is instant messaging based within the app and based around each individual issue. So very easy to navigate, very easy to use. Um, and ultimately it's about monitoring, you know, the, the the client's budget and it's about managing their house building contract with the builder and the design team. So it's it's uh, it's something we're kind of excited about. Again, I would have again a lot of experience of these types of projects down over the years. Uh, I would have worked on as a contractor's QS on a lot of major, uh, you know, up to a million euro uh, refurbishments in Dublin, uh, right down to you know your one-off house in Clare or Galway. Mm-hmm. So I think the the market are now ready for this, and this is kind of something that clients are are looking for. Yeah, and um, um, what's the launch date for that? Uh, the 17th of August so so you're getting very close yeah very close and is yeah, that the, the, the pressure is on is that going to coincide with the launch of your new website yeah that'll be all uh, all up there so we'll what we're doing is we're just kind of making things a bit more legible uh, you know in terms of we just have a a basic website there at the minute but 
um, very much we're separating out the three products so that there it's much clearer and much more concise as to what we do and um, uh, yeah that that's 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 all earmarked for two weeks time so uh-huh. a busy couple of weeks ahead there'll be yeah there'll be no, there'll be no holiday yeah. for, for another few weeks absolutely and you know that actually makes my next question seem almost unfair but you know i, I i'm interested so i so i need to ask it you know we can see that's the that's the next couple of weeks but you know looking ahead you know what? What's next for Adjust? Because I know from speaking to you previously, I'm sure that despite this being in the offing, you're already working on on the next piece of innovation on the next rollout. So, you know, what can we expect from Adjust over the next kind of eighteen to twenty four months? Yeah. So one of the um, our primary um, on our roadmap would be, uh, or, or, I the primary thing on our roadmap is is very much around uh, building back from so. Our systems at the moment come in once a contract is about to start, but we're looking at bringing that back a step. So the whole tendering procurement side of things, it may be a little bit more difficult for public procurement jobs, but for private sector, very much having, um, once your project is granted its planning, that basically you jump on to um, one of Adjust products, whether it's control or, or big work, uh, you start uploading your, your documents, you can invite your contractors onto your uh, tender list, they can price, uh, they can tender through the system. We can do the analysis, uh, the tender reports and all that um, can be all automated. And from there, you're brought into the contract mode. So we're kind of, that's very much, we're hoping in the next six to 12 months that that'll be uh, part of the offering as well. Very good. And will that involve, can you, do you have the resources to do that? Do you have the capability in-house or are you looking at growing the team? We will uh, again. I suppose we will be probably looking to grow the team, but again, it'll be on a, a month by month basis. We'll 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 analyze it. Um, we do have some other, you know, if one of the local authority jobs comes into um, falls for us there, uh, which we, we've already tendered for, we are looking at building out uh, term pay as well to do a lot more than just the multi operator framework stuff. So it kind of will, might move into the likes of asset management as well and stuff like that. So. It all depends which one drops first, I guess, and that's changing uh, week by week and month by month. Yeah, and that's fair enough. Um, Porg, thank you so much for giving us these insights into Adjust because, again, you've been on the show before, but we didn't have time to really, I suppose, get stuck into um, the smaller details. So that was great to do that today. Before we finish up, um, have you any words of advice for maybe new prop tech or construction technology founders who are just trying to break into business development in the sector? Yeah, I guess I suppose, I mean, yeah, we would have received a good bit of advice again. Um, so some good, some bad, as I, as I would say, but it, I guess it's, 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 it is a hard enough industry to crack um, in a lot of ways. And it's, uh, I suppose it really is about getting that first customer. And I think until you have that first customer, you know, don't, uh, you know, don't, don't go all out in terms of like, uh, you know, spending and just, just kind of really, really analyze the market, really dig deep. And, you know, the more it was one of the things we was said to us all right at the start was like, you know, do market research, market research, get out and talk. And it's one of the things NDRC would have always promoted to us. Um, it's not something I was kind of particularly um, good at, but it's absolutely essential. And it's it's. The more you do of it, the more the clearer your 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 message will be, and um, I think it just leads leads to an easier life. So I, again, I would kind of say, yeah, get out, talk to people, 
research, research, research. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think in the Innovation Academy, they, they have that uh, coined the term, um, get outside the building. You know, get outside yeah, the building. You're speaking, yeah. just get outside the building. Um, and, it, and it's so true, you know, just get out of the circle that you're surrounded by that can sometimes just be reverberating back the same opinions to you. You need to speak to new people um, who are in the industry and who are in a position to sign checks. So um, exactly. listen, great advice, Porig. Our, our thanks again to Porig Nealon, founder and CEO of Adjust. And also thank you for listening in to our PropTech Ireland and Property Matters Summer Special on Dublin South FM. You can get in touch with the show on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Also, thanks to Peter Rice on Sound and show producer Katie Talon of Hearing Reward Media. We're back at the same time next week. For myself, Carol Talon and all the team here, stay safe.